Well, good morning. It's good to be here and see you all uh, this morning. Uh, go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We have been exploring uh, Paul's exhortation to the Ephesians, his exhortation specifically that they would preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Prior to that, though, in the first uh, imperative of the letter, he tells them to walk in a manner worthy. And we've been uh, seeing how this walking in a manner worthy, worthy accords with the bonds of peace. And we see that God not only supplies this unity, but also the means of preserving it. And so he does so namely through the gifts given to the church. And as we've uh, seen that these gifts are given on account of Christ's triumph, that he had taken his very presence, his especially his human presence, to all created realms and uh, so that he would fill all things. And we see how Paul presents these acts as integral to Christ maintaining the unity of his body in and through the presence of the sent spirit, who imparts gifts according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so we see how each one of these gifts given and enumerated in verse 11 are associated, are connected with Christ and his word. That in him all Christian teaching originates and through his spirit it takes hold of men's hearts. And when we examined verse, uh, verse 14, we saw how, as Andrew Lincoln put it, how this underlines that the church's growth is not to be thought of in terms of quantity, a numerical expansion of its membership, but in terms of quality, an increasing approximation of believers to Christ. In the face of this scheming of error, believers are not only to stand firm as, we as it will be emphasized in chapter 6, but also to make progress. That proper growth and progress is to take place in every way, that is, in every aspect of the church's life, and particularly in those aspects singled out earlier in unity and knowledge and what, uh, what we'll speak of today in speaking the truth in love. And so this morning we see the effect that Christ intends to bring upon his people through the ministry of the word, primarily during the Lord's day worship, that we would speak the truth in love, that we would grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. That we would do this according to the proper working of each individual part. And this causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You know, it's interesting as I reflected upon this passage this week. It's, uh, it's one of those passages that um, in other contexts, this was the time where a parade of ministries would, brought, would be brought before the congregations. One in which that you can express your gifts in and one in which that um, you can work according uh, to the proper working of you as an individual. 
And yet, as I, I thought about that prior context and I think about the text before us, I, I see that uh, this isn't related to a ministry that's generated within the church, but this is about a general ministry that the Spirit works through each individual member of a body of Christ, whereby they serve and love each other. And so this morning, I do want you to be encouraged that as we consider this, especially in light of questions that come to our mind throughout the course of our Christian life, how am I gifted? What is my ministry? How am I to serve? That we might not look necessarily for the church to generate that answer, to provide it for you in the sense of programmatic ministry, but that you would look to your fellow Christian and love them. That you would look to your fellow Christian and see how you are being fitted and held together. And so then fulfill your ministry to them. Follow along as I read for us Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7. And I'll read through uh, verse 16. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ as a result we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men by the craftiness and deceitful scheming but speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in all aspects into to him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being lifted are fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us go to him for help now. Oh, Heavenly Father, we beseech you this morning to look upon our mean estate, to consider the frailty of our minds and our bodies, and that you would grant us your spirit to illuminate the word to us, that we may be benefactors, and we may benefit from it. That we would not be just hearers, but doers also, Lord. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you've ever been to Washington, D.C., you uh, certainly would have visited the National Mall. The National Mall in Washington, D.C. is described as where the nation comes to remember and where history is made. 
As America's front yard, the National Mall and Memorial Parks is home to many of our country's most iconic memorials, telling the story of people and events that shaped us as a nation. It is said that each year, millions of people come to recreate, to commemorate presidential legacies, to honor our veterans and make their voices heard. It is uh, a length of about five miles. It's interesting that uh, this may not be considered, um, that this is not our only mall of monuments by way of illustration this morning. There's another strip of monuments that spans about the same distance, though it's We'd have to cross the country thousands of miles. There's one in the desert not too far from here where grand monuments are erected and stand as testimonies to greed and deception. Millions of people visit each year with childish hopes of striking it rich or living out their fantasies. They are drawn in. They are deceived by cunningness and craftiness of men to not ask how these grand and expensive monuments were erected, but only that they might be the one who escapes with more than they give. Well, you may have guessed that I'm speaking of the Las Vegas Strip, that stretch of land that's uh, adorned with monuments to the greed of men. For those buildings weren't constructed out of generosity and charity, out of a collective mind, as it were, like often the monuments in the National Mall were, correct, were, were erected. These were erected on the backs of those sad and childish minds that thought that they could gain without working. How does this, how is this an illustration fit for use this morning? Well, it's related to a very unique word that Paul employs to describe the tactics of false teachers, tactics that immature believers are susceptible to. That word is kubia, or kubea, and is translated as trickery in verse 14. This word that appears only in Greek literature, no other place, whether in the Septuagint or the New Testament, does this word um, appear, but it does appear in Greek literature in connection with the forms of trickery that accompanied gambling with dice. My first thought is, as I looked at that word and, and thought of it is that I was thinking of three-card Monty on the street where there's a sleight of hand or there's the trickery taking place where you lay down your money and they switch the cards around and you, you think you know we find the queen and you, and you choose it and oh, lo, behold, you didn't pick the right card. This is the trickery that's employed by false teachers. This is the trickery that immature Christians are susceptible to. And so the bride of Christ is not to be led astray by such trickery. They're to be led and taught and built up into maturity, the mature man, as it, as it reads in verse 13. So we will see that Christ mediates his office through the ministry of the word towards this effect Specifically, as we look at verse uh, 14, we'll see that the effect of the ministry of the word in what is prevented. 
And then in verses 15 and 16 as to what is produced. So there's a negation and then there's a positive. The negation is to what is prevented. Is The first mark of maturity is to be anchored, as it were, protected from the waves of false promise and misdirected teaching. I think one of the things that I was... Um, encouraged about in the life of a young believer that I'd come to know was they were visiting different churches and they visited a church where it was known or I knew it to be a a word faith church. And so they visited that church and I was concerned as a young Christian that they were going to go into this den of wolves and that they would be convinced of such doctrines. And yet by the spirit of Christ at work in her, She was preserved from believing that falsehood, and she reported that as she attended, by the way, she attended that church. She told me about this event, not uh, before this event where I could have warned her, but she recounted the event whereby she realized that the pastor was not preaching from the Word of God or preaching according to the Word of God. Here is a, a young Christian who could tell that what a learned or supposed learned man was teaching did not accord with the Word of God, and I was thankful for that. I could see that a mark of, of this growing maturity in her where she could be anchored and protected from the waves of false promise and misdirected teaching. As we see in the illustration in verse 14, that it says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. There are some things in which uh, that we should be, namely children still. We should be still childlike in some things as it regards to the faith, namely with respect to an ardent and flaming love to God and Christ and to the saints and with regard to their eager desire after the sincere milk of the word. We're to be children as it is to pride, to malice, to envy, to evil speaking, to guile and hypocrisy. In these things becomes them to be children. We are to not know of such things as children do, though we often are acquainted with them and we come, become acquainted more with the depths of these uh, snares in our own lives. But we are to be innocent as lambs in regard to them. And thing in these things, it becomes them to be children, but not in understanding. We're not to be children in our understanding of the faith. We are not to be children in our understanding of God, God's word. We see this in how Paul admonishes in other places. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you are not yet able. 
for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? Consider the connection between infancy in Christ and strife in disunity. Again, in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. Concerning him, we have much to, to say. It is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk. And not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm not just talking that we would grow in our understanding of technical theological language, that you would become some sort of seminary trained member of this church. For what does it say in Hebrews chapter 5 that you would be able to discern between good and evil? Here in the context of Ephesians 4, that you would be able to discern between true and false teaching. That you would not be carried along by every wind of doctrine. We could say by every fad and fashion of Christianity. There have been many. And they often, thankfully, don't last. For they blow like the wind. They toss like the wave. If you imagine a wave, a wave crashes upon the shore. It takes upon as much sand as it can, as it can and it brings it back into the sea. And then is no more. Paul Baines comments on this. He says the ministry is not only a seed to beget us, milk to feed us in childhood, but strong meat by benefit of which we are to grow up further and further in the knowledge of the will of God. What we have in Ephesians 4 as it is, as what is the effect of the ministry of the word? What is to be prevented? What is to be prevented through the ministry of the word is that you would be no longer children. You would no be no longer infants in Christ. So there will be a sense in the ministry of the word and the other aspects where the word is ministered in our contexts where you're going to be drawn up. Yeah, larger words will, technical words will be used because oftentimes it summarizes a host of truth. But the idea is that you would be drawn up further into Christ, not just further into knowledge, not just further into a, a cerebral understanding, but further into Christ. That hopefully that the uh, some of the more weightier teachings from this pulpit come as a as a conduit towards further understanding of Christ, further understanding of the will of God, further understanding of your redemption in Christ. 
We see that Paul is concerned to see God's people established in the faith and not blown about by every wind of doctrine. He understands that what will best guard the church from being easily impressed, immature children and protect her from being tossed to and fro is becoming a perfect man, which is conformity to the likeness of its head and savior. Such conformity to Christ includes having the mind of Christ, which detects the presence and influence of error, no matter how cunning and craftily it is disguised. Immaturity on the part of believers cannot be treated as a neutral state, which will be outgrown in due course. It's the same in which we approach parenting a child. We don't parent a child and assume some instinct in them that they will go about not touching things that are hot, not climbing on things that are too high. Not eating things that are not good for them, but we instruct them in these things. We show them the error of their ways. We want them to then look upon it and think, that is hot, I should not touch. But that feels similar to the hot thing that I wanted to touch before, and so I'm not going to touch that. It's the same thing for our Christian life. We should not assume that we just, by some state, that Christ does not provide us means to grow us up in Him. And as we talk about these things, we're not talking about them in some God helps those who help themselves way, in some Pelagian way or semi-Pelagian way. We talk about it in a way that both respects the sovereignty of God and the work of the Spirit, enlivening your lives and working in them. As promised as you are united to Christ and yet affirming the means by which Christ has decidedly and ordained to work through. It is a highly dangerous condition to be immature because it lays you open to manipulation by cunning people and the forces of error. But it is for precisely such a situation that pastors and teachers have been provided to prevent believers in their immaturity from falling prey. There's a clear understanding amongst the elders here at this church that we are not trying to appeal to the senses and sensibilities of this world and the immaturity that is fraught with in the minds of men. We can be uh, compassionate towards that and we can take in that into consideration. But our goal as we preach the word is that you would be built up to a mature man. That you would lay aside childish thinking. That you would take hold of that which accords with spiritual adulthood. Also knowing in our own selves, in our own lives, and in the same with you, that laying hold of spiritual adulthood is not the same as turning 18 in our society, where somehow you're coronated into adulthood and you receive the rights and so you're no longer considered a, ch a child. 
for we are to continue to grow up further in, further up into Christ. We are constantly reoriented our minds to Christ, to the gospel. That you would not fall prey to false teaching and that you would not be led from, uh, that you would be led from the instability which ends in error and that you'd be led to the stability of the truth. What keeps us, though, from being tossed and deceived and from being led astray? Certainly it, it has the means that we have before us is the ministry of the word, the ministry of preachers and teachers. But it's only as effective as to our being in the body. It's only related to ultimately our being linked to the head. It says that we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Are being kept from being tossed and deceived and from being led astray. Put not your hope in the elders of Covenant Baptist Church. Put not your hope in your favorite online or streaming pastors or teachers. Put your hope in being linked to the head, being found in Christ. Know that he provides these gifts to you lovingly, and yet it is only related as you're being linked to the head. It is why we encourage you, young ones, to put your faith in Christ. If we were satisfied just with you being present here and you being, uh, you being taught up in these truths, we would not encourage you to put your faith in Christ. But because this is only going to benefit you as you are linked to the head, we compel you, we implore you to look to Christ, to put your faith in Him. Because it is the head that functions. It's the head that gives vigor and direction to any interconnected movement, any interconnected um, movement whereby uh, it is to be willed. It is also that movement that has real integrity and effect as it is connected to the head. We know the term. He's running around like his head, like a chicken with its head cut off. The body of the chicken is disconnected from the head and it goes every which way in any direction it thinks. It has no head to give it direction. It will eventually lose its vigor and lose its life. It will run out of steam. So it is with us. If we are not linked to the head, if we are not connected to Christ, we are just churning in our own energy. We are just churning in any which way direction. Soon to lose our vigor. Soon to lose our life or that which is seemingly life. To what sort of life, though, does God's power enliven us to? To what activity does their stature, what does our stature fit us for? What is fitting for the one who is linked to the head? What is fitting for one who is to be mature, to grow up into Christ? 
what is to be produced. Verse 15 says that we are to be speaking the truth in love and we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. We are to grow up. Here, maturity does not find description here in a way that is easily cataloged or charted. Interesting. There is no maturity test that I can give you as a pastor so that, I, that you may know that you have arrived. It doesn't come to us in a fashion that admits of a terminus or an end point. Maturity involves growth. Remember, the mature man was not one of age, but one of completeness. The, the eschatological reality is that we will find that in the eschaton. We will find that when Christ returns. But until then, we should find it that we are continually maturing or being fitted to that man. We, but we are made aware that one aspect in which the unity of the Spirit is fostered among those who together have been joined by that same Spirit. We are made aware that one aspect in which the unity of the Spirit is fostered among those who together have been joined by that one Spirit. For we are to speak the truth in love. It's interesting, this is really the, the imperative here. Certainly we are to grow up in all aspects into him, but speaking the truth in love has the legs. It's the, it's the rubber and the road. We are to speak the truth in love. And in doing so, we, we grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Again, this idea of speaking the truth in love is, is an interesting um, collection of words or an inter interesting combination of words. The speaking the truth is related to this idea of, uh, can be literally translated, truthing in love. There's an active relationship. There's a verbal form to truth there. Truth being a noun, but it's used in verbal form in verse 15. So that we're not just, again, ascending to some sort of higher cerebral plane of knowledge. But we're actually truthing in love. What does speaking the truth in love look like? Well, Paul is going to go into that the rest of his chapter, the rest of this chapter and the rest of this letter. It has to do with them that they would lay aside their former manner of life, that they would put on the new self, that they would lay aside falsehood, that they would be angry and yet do not sin, that they would not give the devil an opportunity, they would not let unwholesome words proceed from their mouth, that they would let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice, that we would be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as Christ, God in Christ also has forgiven you, that we would be imitators of God. I can go on and on, that we would love our wives, husbands, uh, wives, that you would submit to your husbands, children, that you would obey your parents, 
Paul speaks of this in other letters. He does so in uh, Colossians. He, he does so in Colossians chapter 3. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with all hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart. Look at verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which is which indeed you are called in one body. I meant to read verse 14, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And then the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And then the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. To speak the truth in love initially is to be present with those whom we're to speak the truth and love with. It's to be here. It's to engage in the worship of our Lord together. And so we, we exercise our unity this morning. So that when we go from here, we think of each other throughout the week. We hear of needs and we seek to fulfill them. I'm always encouraged by this congregation to know that when needs come up, there certainly is never a shortfall to those needs. We're ready to donate our time, our energy, our finances towards speaking the truth in love. It must be coupled truth and love. When truth is distanced from love, it loses its grace and becomes pharisaic. It becomes clinical, cold, and hard-edged. When love is distanced from truth, which you could say is a summary of the world's doctrine, when love is distanced from truth, it loses all its moral character and becomes supine and a little more than an excuse for unfettered indulgence. As we speak the truth in love, we see that we are being fitted to one another. We are growing up into Christ, and it's in whom the whole body, or from whom the whole body being fit together and held by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part. That being fit and held together by what every joint supplies, it's to be put into joint. It's to not be disjointed. It's not to walk around with a hobble or to have a, have a dislocated shoulder or an out-of-put hip. It's that all the joints are being held together. That we are to participate according to the proper working of each individual part. We have a deep obligation to one another, one commentator says. Everyone must do his or her part. Each has a calling to make the body work. What is that calling? The, to, to speak the truth in love, to bear one another's burdens, to walk in a manner worthy, to walk in love. 
This runs against the grain of Western culture with its emphasis on personal autonomy and even against much of evangelicalism with its emphasis on a personal relationship with Christ. As important as it is, a personal relationship with Jesus, biblical Christianity never teaches that faith is just about Jesus and me. We are part of the body of Christ. We are his presence now on earth as his spirit lives within us and among us. That we each are the expression of Christ's love to others and they to us. This idea of fulfilling our calling or to make the body work, brothers and sisters, the calling is one of mutual love and affection. How are you to minister to one another? Look to love each other. Certainly there is much more to be said and to to bear out, and we're going to have an opportunity to do that as we continue to work through chapter 4 and even through the rest of the letter. But consider the main topic and the main heading is that we are to speak the truth in love. We are to to do truthing in love. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body. It is not for this reason, any the less a part of the body. And the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body. It is not for this reason, any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Or on the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor and are less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And then he talks about the gifts given a different way of saying one body and one spirit. 
as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The reality of it is, is that there are to be no passengers in the church, just as there are no redundant joints and ligaments in the body. Everyone is needed. Everyone has a significant part to play, and the church is growing into a perfect man. Brothers and sisters, this is not something in which you need to look far are much farther than those that sit next to you and those that sit in the row behind you or in front of you. We are to look to care for one another for we are to be, we are to do what causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And so as we do so, as we sit under the ministry of the word, may we see it as an opportunity that Christ is working in us maturity, that Christ is putting away that which is childish so that you may not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, that you may not be uh, illustratively like the people that flock in hopes of riches and unworked for wealth only to build these monuments more grander and more higher. That we would build up each other. That we would see that we are being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. And though it will be a long reading, let us see how Paul expresses this so fluently in Romans chapter 12. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his gifts in service in his serving or he who teaches in his teaching or he who exhorts in his exhortation he who gives with liberality he who leads with diligence he who sows mercy with cheerfulness or shows mercy with cheerfulness let love be without hypocrisy abhor what is evil cling to what is good be devoted to one another in brotherly love give preference to one another in honor not lagging behind in diligence fervent in spirit serving the Lord rejoicing in hope preserving in tribulation persevering in tribulation devoted to prayer contributing to the needs of the saints practicing hospitality because those who bless those who persecute you bless and do not 
curse. Rejoice with all those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As we do so, let us remember that the energy and the vigor to do those things, to complete those things, to, to do these works are because they have been prepared beforehand by our Savior and we have been fitted and joined to the head, even Christ. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we give you praise this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the ministry of your word that you have ordained for the good of your people, for the maturing of us, that we would all be grown up into Christ. That we would not rest until that day when our sight, when our faith shall be sight. When the hope and longing of our hearts be the reality of our blessed Savior, his reappearing, his coming in glory. Until then, Lord, may you preserve us, preserve our faith. We may speak the truth and love to one another and so be fitted and joined together. We thank you, Lord, for doing this in us. We thank you that you will complete the work that you have begun. We praise your name. We ask these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.